Hi, friends. I talk a lot about systems thinking on this podcast and thought I'd share one of the most potent actions you can take if you feel moved to be a different kind of leader for the 21st century. At Small Giants Academy, we developed our answer to the traditional MBA. We call it the MBE, a mastery of business and empathy. The MBE is a truly groundbreaking program which equips leaders with the tools, strategies, networks and philosophies to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up. This podcast is supported by our friends at Bank Australia. If you didn't know, Bank Australia is a 100% customer-owned, responsible bank. Its purpose is to create mutual prosperity for its customers, the communities they live in, and the planet we all live on. Hi, I'm Barry Liberman, editor and publisher of Dumbo Feather, and you're listening to our conversation series podcast. I'm really excited about introducing you guys to Brendan Murray, the principal of Parkville College. This man is a total legend and an unbelievable inspiration. The atmosphere in the room on the night was remarkable. Standing room only. People had come from far away to hear this incredible man talk about his work with children in prisons. What he has to teach us about kindness, respect, dignity and unconditional positive regard is something we all need to think about, know about and practice in our everyday lives. The fact that he practices it every day behind prison walls with children was painful to hear and important to know about. The remarkable thing about Brendan is he brings kindness, thoughtfulness and dignity to a broken system and in doing that changes the system. Tonight I want to talk about the students. So who are they? We operate as a school for all children and young people who are detained in custody within Victoria. And we also have a couple of campuses that are for children who are not detained in custody, but they are housed, is the nicest way I can put it, within a secure setting. So that's children that live within child protections care who are placed within a secure facility. So we have Maribyrnong and Ascot Vale. We also have another campus which is uh, at Fairfield, which is called the Disability Forensic Assessment Treatment Service. So our students are, in many ways, they're very different, but the common feature is that they've all experienced trauma and neglect and abuse and have acted out in a way that's antisocial and have put themselves at great risk of harm or others and so they are placed within custody. That's their binding um, characteristic. On top of that, they're an amazing bunch of kids um, who have an enormous amount to offer our society and um, as the teachers here would attest to, they're incredible privilege to work with, to be a part of, as is, you know, for all the teachers in the room. It's a joy to go to school each day. It's no doubt it's a challenge um, with the children that, you know, we are um, fortunate enough to educate. 
but um, you know, there's a there's a lot of laughter. Um, it's terrific to be a part of that journey of someone who is um, you know working towards developing themselves. And most kids in custody are really sincere about wanting to change their life, their trajectory, to transform. There's a lot of reasons why they may not when they exit. There's so many variables. Um, I saw some kids today I went and said goodbye to as um, after they'd been into the Youth Parole Board, kids that have been with us for a long time. And with, um, you know, they've had so much education, all the right supports around them. You just sort of got to cross your fingers and hope that um, everything will be okay, but you never know. Because you were saying when we came for a lot of the kids, it's one of the first times in their lives that they've had three yeah. square meals a day and yeah. we had shelter. A, that's right, we had a kid today who um, has been with us for years. He had to be talked into coming up to the Youth Parole Board meeting. He decided he didn't want to leave and he had to be encouraged and supported to come up to leave for freedom. It just seems difficult to understand that. But, um, you, know, you know, when you realise that you, if you have good people around you and they're really supportive and encouraging and, yeah, you are getting your meals and everything's very predictable and safe, then you do flourish within that environment. So it becomes very overwhelming and frightening to move into uncertainty. You forget for kids that we had kids, you know, we, we do have the frequent flyers that bounce in and out. And I had a kid up at Malmesbury recently saying to me, you know, the last time I go, I'm going to be fine this time, but the last time I remember when I left, I was really frightened in the car. I forgot how fast cars move. Hmm. And I was, you know, loud noises were difficult for me. All aspects of life become challenging. And so many kids do fall into the trap of with the best of intentions, the talk in the foyer of the parole board afterwards was, you know, we've, we've got to catch up and party tonight because mm. we're free and you just hope that party just doesn't roll on for five days. Mm. I mean, when you talk, I want to just note that the language you use is extraordinarily compassionate. Um, the privilege to teach these kids Mm -hmm. etc. You, you always use language like that from my brief encounters and, um, and your staff do as well. You see it as a privilege to be there and just to paint the picture for me, I've never been inside a prison and just getting in the first step of going through security is quite overwhelming for someone who's never been in that environment. You have to take everything off, you have to put it Aside, you have to put it in a locker. You can't take anything in, not a camera, not a phone, nothing, jewellery off. And um, that was quite astonishing. And then you walk in and it's this strange environment with very high, high walls all around it. And to go in and experience this environment you and your staff have created of these traumatised kids, one of the thing, many things struck me, but one of them was how you shook everyone's hand and just looked them in the eyes and talked to them like a big brother. It was very moving. Talk a bit about what transition has happened since you've moved in there? How was it before? What was the problem? And, and how is it now? And why do you shake their hands? Well, it just, that's the way I would greet anyone 
So um, it just makes sense to greet a child in that way. And but you were told off for doing that initially? Yeah, we were. We were advised not to shake hands. Um, but, I mean, that's a ridiculous way to operate amongst your fellow human beings. It, st it still entertains me, makes me laugh that we ran in our first year PD classes um, where we lined our teachers up and practised shaking hands. You, you know, like, and I knew that um, the entire state were sitting down to work out their literacy strategies, you know, on their first <laughs> curriculum day. And we were lined up out the front and making sure that we would have eye contact and handshakes and pounding and there's all sorts of handshakes. So we haven't got time for that tonight. Um, you know, and, and if I can just say one of our greatest issues has now become that kids, when they meet a teacher, they stop to shake hands. Everyone wants to stop. So you have 15 kids moving and everyone wants to shake hands and there's someone on control watching everything on the cameras, mm. waiting for no one can move until that whole unit's moved. So the teachers are being asked, please, it's okay, you're going to shake hands, just walk with them, please, because they've just gone so far over the top. And the kids have, you know, the kids need to, we had to teach children early on, you know, they need to learn how to operate amongst their fellow human beings, that you do shake hands and... You don't just brush past someone or, you know, you, this is, you're welcomed. And the, the idea of the handshake is to welcome and to include children or all of our students. Even for the kids early on, we would also say, look, it's terrific to have you here. Thanks for coming today. And kids would say, well, I'm in jail, you know, like, <laughs> I've got to come. I fucking hate school. And we... We would say, well, no, I mean, actually, you can just sit down on your floor in your room and no one can drag you to class, so I appreciate that you came in. Mm. I mean, you can say you're sick and you don't have to come to school. So we just make a point of thanking people and well, I suppose that's our way of demonstrating regard. Yeah. What gave you these ideas? It, see, I know it sounds funny in the outside world, but when you go in there, like you took me into a room and you're like oh, look at this nice campus and go into a room and there were like three boys there. They had like an inordinate amount of people standing around them. So that was the only weird thing. But other than that, there were three quiet boys doing study and they were working on essays and whatever. And one boy leans back and goes, oh, g'day, Brendan. And then you hugged, shook someone else's hand. He goes, he was my friend first. And there was like all this competition. <laughs> And totally, there was full possession over you. So much love in the room, but it was quiet and they were doing their work. And then we, you know, we, I looked, I had, there was nothing to see. We walked out of the room and you said, those are the three worst offenders in Victoria. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Those kids. Yeah. And they were just kids. They were 15, mm. 16 years old mm. and doing their work. And they were gorgeous, actually, and full of love for you and respect. So um, it... it it is rebellious what you did. You've changed something. What, how come? Where'd you get those ideas that you could take it into this environment? Um, well, I worked in adult prisons as a social worker before I made a decision to get into education. And I worked for um, the Salvos going in to do adult prison visits and to prepare 
men that were recidivist offenders reintegrating back into society. And what I was always struck by was the prison guards on the way in. They'd, they'd be giving me a serve as I walked in. What a fucking waste of time, you know? You're gonna do this and that and he's no good. And I thought, well, well, you know, like, he's our fellow human being here, you know? Um, to me, just, I find it hard to understand that way of thinking. And I know that for people commit terrible crimes, I'm really conscious of that. I'm conscious that, um, I'm conscious that some people within our society will have views of these people should be punished every day. That having their liberty taken from them is not enough. But it's my view that um, rehabilitation is what's critical for people within custody and that I, I would imagine that you can't go to a classroom for and if someone who is a, a violent offender and give them some sort of lesson on how to operate in society and you know treat them poorly or look down upon them or feel as though these aren't your equals, I would think that would be incredibly challenging. And you know, like I, I, I think about the fact that a court has made a decision that someone gets a sentence for a period of time for a crime and what that means is that they're incarcerated, they have their liberty taken from them and then it's our job is to get them in the best possible shape for reintegration into society. We don't do that well enough, you know. It's a, it's a blight on our society. How We have people right now that are in, let's say, Port Phillip Prison, just the men's maximum. Um, people feel sort of more comfortable that, about the fact that people are locked up, right? They're in custody for crimes that they've committed. So we sleep easier, potentially, as a society. They're actually coming back out to, into our society. And what are we doing about that? You know, like, I do want a better society. And it's important that we focus on development of people that haven't been able to, clearly they're in custody because they haven't been able to manage amongst their fellow human beings. Simple as that. So we need to do something about that. And I think we, we talk about it within our school that there's a Goethe quote. You, know, you guys you, are philosophers. Yeah. I know this. Yeah, yeah. If, we, if you treat someone as they are, that's how they remain. If you treat someone as they ought to be and as they could be, then they will become what they ought to be and could be. Really simple. We, as teachers, this room full of teachers will understand the zone of proximal development in an educational sense that you're always trying to locate where next for the learner with your content. But the same applies for their well-being, how they engage with others, how they operate peacefully amongst others. We need to be looking at where next for that person. So maybe, maybe this is a, a radical move by our school but um, it works really well. And um, we're also very proud of, you know, like we're proud of how we operate 
amongst our fellow human beings. And it's also with the children, you know, it's easy. It's easy for so many people with children. It's harder when it's an adult, I think, when you're working with them because as a child, you, you get a 10-year-old in and you think, oh my God, you can get a 10-year-old into custody in Victoria. 11, 12, 13, 14, like, at what age do you think, you know, like this kid needs care, it's someone else's? That was my strongest feeling when we were in the classroom. And we'll talk about telling stories because we went in and Dumbo feathered the classroom. So we were asking them, what, you know, who inspires them and what's their story. And they were so hungry to tell their story. And my strongest response was, these were my boys. I've got yeah. a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. Yeah. And I just these boys were so full of life. Some of them were saying the most extraordinary things, unbelievable things that were so sort of dissonant in that environment that one guy was like almost quoting buddha it was just wild but well you know what i loved about that class was there was a kid in there who you asked um you know if you could change the world what would you change this remember that the... yeah and the boy said thought about it there were a couple of responses he said look it'd be a big ask to change the world <laughs> right yeah he goes look i think i really need to focus on me at the moment Yep. And then he gave this talk about how he could control himself. And he said, I need to change myself first. Yeah. And we yeah. all just were like, <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. That's what it was like. And it was a little bit weird. Because yeah. I kept expecting like, there, was the, there were students who came into the classroom and they couldn't concentrate. Yeah. They couldn't cope with that much concentrated effort. Yeah. Um, and you could see behavioural problems and learning problems in, in that context and understand. But of course, you have to understand a person's narrative. Yeah. It doesn't even take more than five minutes of observation and kindness to see that someone's story got them that way. Um, but he came back into the classroom and that was That's good. Right. Yeah. yeah, one of the boys just yeah. couldn't sit still. But no, he was no, curious. It, there were also boys in that last class, I remember that there was someone who sat down the back and didn't really participate and then he just blew the class away with a written yeah. response, you know, where he talked about his father being in prison and how he'd never really known him and he didn't want to be like that. Yeah. It's just heartbreaking. What do you learn from the kids at Parkville? Um, so many things. Um, I do... I like to think in football in terms. So if it's okay, seeing I'm up, I'm not, I've got the microphone. Yeah. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, yeah, you're going to lose me quickly. Yeah, I'll lose you, but it's okay. It's already, it's, yeah. it'll, it'll come back around. Hang in there. Yeah. So in, in football, just in case some of you may not be fans, um, there's this idea that if you get a young footballer in to your team, the best thing you can do is you put them... You say, play on the best player of the other team because they'll take you to where the ball goes. It's your best learning. <laughs> Our children take us, myself in particular, to all the areas of the education system. They teach me about what's important about education. NAPLAN's not important, <laughs> right? For example, yeah. yeah. For example, yeah. Um, but no, I'm not opposed to testing because we do a lot of testing a lot more than, I'm going to say, any other school in Victoria. 
I'm going to go with we do five times more testing than any other school in Victoria, I'm going to say. Do I have teachers nodding? They're like, fucking you kill us with that, right? <laughs> so I'm not opposed to testing, but really, you know, when we had children in 2010, right, there was a parliamentary report written by the Ombudsman with 27 recommendations into the poor conditions that children were living in at the Parkville campus only. Right? So you imagine that's the same at all campuses, Malmesbury, um, the Secure Welfares, Fairfield, the same standard of care. In 2010, there was something like 60% of staff that didn't have working with children's checks. There were two registered teachers at Parkville for four days a week that only worked with children 14 and under. There's not many 14 and under. No children in remand had access to a registered teacher, um, state curriculum, any form of school for up to 501 days. That changed in 2012. That's not that long ago, right? So you start to think to yourself about human rights and that everyone has the right to education and we can quote the declaration. Article 26 states that everyone has the right to education and education should be directed towards the full development of the human personality. Right? It's really important. And that education shall promote respect, tolerance and understanding hmm. amongst all people. And that because, you know, it's the Universal Declaration, it should be directed towards the maintenance of peace. So for our children, really bring that to the forefront. So yes, they need to learn to read and write. And yes, they need to learn maths and they need to learn so many skills. And we need to find their interest areas. But what they teach us is the importance of upholding human rights. We encourage them to exceed their expectations. They force us to exceed our expectations. That's the brilliant thing for us because I can say for all of the staff from my school that are in here, no one walked to the front gates, you know, like where the iris scans are and said, yeah, I've got this under control, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> Everyone walked in and took a deep breath and thought, can I do this? You know, because every child at our school has been expelled. So I don't know if I can just teach the local primary school class. Can I come in here with violent offenders who are going to be non-compliant and resistant and um, offensive or threatening? Can, can I manage this? And how do they manage? They manage really well. They're very happy. We have a very strong culture of supporting each other. So I think one of the most gripping things, you talked about Goethe and the Goethe quote about treating man as he, you wish him to be comes mm -hmm. also from Viktor Frankl, who's one of our yep. big heroes. And um, it's an unbelievable idea. It's hard to practice, which is to be the example you wish to see in the world, really, and to live that example. Um, talk to us all a little bit about unconditional positive regard, because I find that very moving. It's a very core ingredient in, you know, forms of therapy. This is an idea that Carl Rogers had in the 50s. It was the idea of demonstrating unconditional positive regard or being non-judgmental and that along with a few other ingredients, 
you create the right environment for someone to make change and transformation. So it seemed to me that we needed to demonstrate that for our children in our classrooms if we are going to encourage the learner to go on this journey towards transformation and change. We've got to create the right environment and the best way to do that is in our approach, what we demonstrate all day every day. It also seems like the right way to operate amongst people. When we first started, we had a few teachers talking about the crimes that children committed, should they know them before they started with them. Mm. And um, we made a decision that, um, that we wouldn't. There was no point to that. It didn't seem like a point. I mean, uh, I understand. There's like a gory point, like yeah, just people, to know the gory yeah, details. People are sort yeah. of interested in that, but that's for their own reasons. It, it doesn't, I don't see how it helps too much. We need to understand, I think, that we've had kids that have literally arrived and, you know, once they detox, they don't know why they're in there. They can't remember. Shit. You know, that they, they literally just woken up and just go, fuck, I can't, I don't even know what I'm in here for. I need to speak with my lawyer. <laughs> I just, I was on this bender and the next thing I know I'm back here, right? That happens. So to hold them and to think of them in relation to the behaviour is potentially to not see them as a person and as a, you know, as a child. And, and you are, we are not, one is not only the worst thing you ever that's did. That's right. It's, that's right. It's a, something someone's done. We had a boy at Malmesbury who was really really successful with our school. We got him into Open University <laughs> and um, was undertaking a degree. He was in for culpable driving. So you imagine a, a kid from this side of the river, um, private school, but most of the room could imagine, you know, one too many drinks and a car accident and someone dies, right? And you can see, uh, you can think that young person um, can understand that crime, that that happens, terrible, but you can see through that very quickly to the person of, that they have, could potentially have so much to offer. I feel the same about all of our kids. That's an easy one for, to sort of explain to people that that boy, when he, when we started with him, he said, what are you going to give me fucking times tables or whatever? We said, um, I don't know, we're going to have to give you times tables. Yeah, I've already done year 12. I mean, we are, yeah, everyone's done year 12 when they meet us, by the way. I've already done year 12. Yeah, of course you have. No problem. We'll just come in anyway, you know. And uh, this kid, he tested sort of off the chart. And so we decided, how about we have a go at, you know, uni? We did a double degree that he undertook with us and uh, I think when he left he was onto Spanish or something like that as part of a degree. But you can see clearly that there's more to a kid than their crime and that's the important thing to remember is that 
you know, the behaviour doesn't define a person and behaviour in the past or at one time or even multiple times doesn't define someone. And you know, I also think, that I think about it on a couple of levels that if my children were ever, you know, if they were ever in that situation, that's how I want someone to care for them. I mean, anyone's care. They're in the care of the state. And we also, we get paid to perform a role, you know, within our society to the best that we can and want to do that really well. And, you know, the best way is to, you know, come from a position that's non-judgmental and supportive. So it really works best. I promise. <laughs> I believe you. You're a treasure. Um, I, I have to say, it wasn't like this before Brendan got there. It just wasn't like that. The violence on Parkville campus was through the roof and children were unsafe. And just using the word children is correct. And I think you're a treasure and all your teachers are so inspiring because they're adults who've come with compassion right foot forward to be the best example to the rest of us with the most marginalised and vulnerable. But do you get much resistance from people to the work you're doing? Um, we do get resistance, um, but ultimately you know, internally within the system of custody, there are people that hold to different ideas, whatever they've been able to cope with, you know, for their own coping or for how they get through the day, that, you know, it's tough love or don't be too close or you keep a boundary or they don't deserve this or that. We had, uh, which still happens where, you know, we, you get the odd person with a mindset that's in charge of supervision and security that they want to do a room search and they want to search the students because someone's you know stolen a book well, yeah, well that's terrific <laughs> you know like the books you can take them no 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 you've got to have a list of how many books I'm like, oh, it's great if people take books you know it's uh, or we you know recently we had a honestly we had an art we had art classes where we had the you know these old um, with an outline of you know old trains for during art for kids to do graffiti on right? and then we had uh, you know like a resistance about from way up the top about your glamorizing crime and endorsing it. The kids are doing art on a piece of paper. But, but the absurdity is that, you know, you can have kids who... that people are red hot on about having access to that, yet they could go back late at night and watch um, cap, Capturing Malat or whatever it's called, you know? It's absurd. Yeah. But I, I think the resistance is... the resistance is to a different approach. And what was understood as the way to work, I think, was sort of you have big blokes with tats who are pretty intimidating. We have an enormous amount of female staff who then would just waltz into the maximum security and shake hands, hi, how are you going? And it's no problems. It's very confronting for people, the, their ideas of how, how could a 24-year-old woman control this class and 
you know, I, I, I've We got, talked about that yeah. though, articulate that. I think that's like the difference between yeah. two different versions of society. Yeah. Big intimidating yeah. guys with tats and visible weaponry, etc. Yeah. And now you've got 24 year old young women. Yeah. What was that about? You, that was a conscious decision to bring. Yeah. yeah, well we had a conscious decision to, we have no fear of going for picking staff that were um, not necessarily very experienced teachers. We always, you know, we still do aim to get people with high interpersonal skills, social, emotional intelligence. That's what we're after and a, a willingness to follow a consistent approach because that's really important within a, a school. Um, that's like the best thing I've ever heard. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, oh, you did Harvard, don't give a shit. Can you relate to people? Yeah. That would, that 100%. would EQ. That's what you're I'm going No interest for. in that. Yeah, no, no, we, what we want is, you know, and then a commitment to the way that, that we would operate. Brendan. Fair. You're the best. <laughs> you're a complete inspiration. We are all incredibly grateful to all of you for not only the work you do, but welcoming us in to have more compassion. And um, we've learnt so much from those kids and um, being uh, exposed to it has changed our lives. Thank you to all the teachers in the room and please can we thank Brendan. To hear more about Brendan's work and philosophy and to find out about upcoming Conversation Series events, head to our website, dumbofeather.com. This podcast was supported by Bank Australia, Australia's first customer-owned bank. Bank Australia invests in conservation projects and will never invest customers' money in fossil fuels. Where you bank every day makes a difference.